Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and today I wanted us to have a little chat about the Orville. It's not a show I've talked about a lot on the podcast, and I honestly don't know, well, I do know why, but it's probably not for reasons that you're thinking. See, one of the things that I was wanting to do with this series with this show is just not be all about reviews and commentary about TV shows and movies and stuff, but I really enjoy talking about that. And so my lack of discussion on the Orville and other shows has a lot more to do with me just wanting to explore other topics on the podcast. And I feel like I've limited myself a little too much to that. And so we're, we're going to be talking about some other things. Now, I do want to talk about The Expanse, and that's going to actually wait a bit. I'm currently reading the books, and I wanted to bring that into the discussion for the show. So if you would like to be a part of that discussion, I'm really enjoying the first book, Leviathan Wakes. So if you would like to become a part of that process and actually be up on the books by the time we go there the show is up on amazon prime and the books i'm doing the audiobook so it's up on audible um i'm not being paid for either one of those i just thought i'd let you know so that you could be ready when we get to it the orville the show that shouldn't work every time i watch an episode of this show there is still a part of me expecting it to finally break. And I'm not saying that because I don't like the show or anything. It's because it is such an improbable mashup of different things that really shouldn't work together. If you haven't seen the Orville, first of all, if you, if you have access to Hulu, it's up there from the beginning. You can just watch the whole thing. So I highly recommend that you do that. But basically, the show is, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It, is crea- it was created by Seth MacFarlane, and it's somewhere between Star Trek and Galaxy Quest. I actually feel like a lot of people make statements about how it is a very Star Trek show. In some ways, I really have to disagree with that, because... It is a show that couldn't have existed without things like Galaxy Quest being there in the interim. Galaxy Quest, if you haven't seen it, is a wonderful movie that you should definitely watch with Sigourney Weaver um, and other people, but Sigourney Weaver, (laughs) that takes on a lot of the tropes of Star Trek all the way through to the fan conventions and the fandom community, and filters it into what eventually becomes its own world at the end. 
And I have a feeling if... Okay, so this is just my way of thinking about this. If Galaxy Quest didn't exist, then that's what the Orville would have been. But because we live in a world where Galaxy Quest does exist and has become kind of a cult classic amongst a lot of, you know, space opera fans like myself, what the Orville ends up doing is while it picks up on a lot of the tropes and conventions of the genre that were established by Star Trek, it has already seen how they can be post-processed into something different through the vehicle of a film like Ga Galaxy Quest. And as such, doesn't feel the necessity to reinvent that wheel. It doesn't have to do that again. And that allowed it to f be free to explore those tropes using its own brand of humor and its own style of storytelling. And that's what I mean when I, when I say that this show shouldn't work. And I keep like expecting it to fall apart because somehow they have found a way with this show to be silly, goofy, funny, deathly serious, and amazingly deep. That really should not exist in one series. That range, like we can talk about how Star Trek had some silly episodes or what have you. I mean, like there are scenes in Galaxy Quest that are nothing more than jokes. They have a set up, a build up, and a punchline. And they're clear jokes, and they exist solely for the point of being a joke. There are some episodes that follow much similar lines. And yet, you have issues of relationships and gender identity and war that this show deals with and faith and religion and all of those things that this show deals with in a very serious and sometimes grave and somber tone. And I'm not sure how they have committed the alchemical pattern to allow those things to coexist within the same show and work, but they did. And that's kind of the miracle of this show. Be and I really mean it that way, because without the intermediary stage of something like a galaxy quest, and that's why I keep bringing it up, which kind of starts off in that pastiche humor that you expect for a show that's being a send-up of Star Trek, but then finds this kind of serious action footing on which it can stand, and kind of created a formula whereby that could work. The Orville is clearly vamping off of that style to create a story that can, at times, be funny and serious at the same time, or consecutively. And I don't think that that would have worked if... I, I don't think it would have had the blessing of the network to go there if there wasn't something already existing that showed that that model could work. 
Because unfortunately, when you're looking at a TV series or anything of the like, you really kind of have to think about the business model behind it and how you're convincing a studio to allow you to do the things that you're doing. And a simple pastiche of Star Trek, I don't think would have gotten greenlit. And that's kind of the brilliance of the Orville is that that is the least of what it is. Now, visually, it takes a lot of its cues from Star Trek with the color-coded uniforms and things like that. And I think people put way too much focus on those things. It has picked up elements from various other space opera shows, and you can actually see components of Battlestar Galactica, both the original um, series and the reboot, you can see elements in here that remind me of Stargate, Stargate Atlantis, and Stargate Universe. And all of that ends up being mixed together into a fairly unique package that does things that I don't expect it. I, I really, especially when you have it coming from somebody like Seth MacFarlane that I don't expect. Now, I'm going to start talking about episodes and whatnot from this point on. So if, for any reason, you have not seen through Identity Part 2, you may want to step back a bit, catch up with the show, especially if you are averse to spoilers, because I am going to be talking about certain things that have happened in course of the show and how that works. And some of the plot points. So there will be spoilers to follow. In five, four, three, two, one. Here we go. Now, when I say that this show demonstrated its bravery very early on, in the third episode of the first season, we get about a girl in which Bordis and Clyden a same-sex relationship couple from a species that is entirely male have a child, and that child turns out to be a girl. And we can have long discussions about how we feel about the episode and how it ended up resolving itself, because... I have some very hurt and mixed feelings about that. And that's one of the beautiful things is so does Bordas. So I, I don't feel alienated by some of the discussions of gender because Bordas is having some of those same issues and it impacts his relationship with Clyden. But after two episodes that were essentially comedies and that, that were interspersed with some more serious moments and what have you, all of a sudden we're hit with a very serious episode where basically Clyden and Bordis's child are gonna, is going to be forced to have a sex change because it was born a girl. And in their society, that's wrong and that can't happen and they're going to quote-unquote fix her. That is astounding that they were that they felt like they could go there and that they did with such a lack of um 
I, I don't know exactly what the word is that I'm looking for here. They, they don't pull their punches. They really deal with a lot of the issues of gender and misgendering. And it, it, I don't know, for somebody like me who's been dealing with gender issues their entire life, it struck home in such an honest way that usually when I see a show like this tackle an issue like that, I roll my eyes. And I'm not saying that they handled it perfectly, especially because of, you know, the end of the episode where the child is forced to become male. They, they go through with the forced gender reassignment, which, like I said, affects Bordas negatively and becomes a sticking point in his relationship with Clyden going on through the series. But it... It didn't hit any of the buttons in me that usually cause offense, and it really could have. And if you know the history of Seth MacFarlane, you kind of expect it to be offensive in some way when it's dealing with these issues. As you know, you look at episodes like Majority Rule, which is about the people of a planet that is basically run by social media. The Krill, where we learn about the religion of the Krill and how it impacts them. There, there are so many moments here that could have gone very, very, very wrong. And yet somehow, and I really don't know how, because, I, like I said, I am not 100% on board with the, solution, the solutions that many of these episodes allow for that they end up with the resolutions that come up, but I don't feel pandered to. I don't feel talked down to, and I don't feel, um, like I'm being sidelined in my opinion because other characters express them as well. And this is something that Seth MacFarlane has claimed to do in other shows. And I don't think he pulled off as well in Family Guy and other shows that he's been a part of, as he did here with this one. When you get to season two, and I know I'm skipping a lot in season one, and if you all want me to, we can go back and do deep dives into season one episodes, everything up to this point. But by the time you get to season two, they have established a cast and a crew that you understand why they work together. You understand why they can have the light humor that they have together. We actually get to see, by this point, characters maturing, growing, and developing in a way that most shows of this kind don't offer. And that's special. By the time you get to season two, a character like Yafeth, who I figured was going to be in the series just as a running Norm Macdonald joke. Because, let's face it, Yafeth is Norm Macdonald. Not only is Yafeth voiced by Norm Macdonald, but the character is Norm Macdonald's stand-up kind of come to life. And probably couldn't have been played by anybody else. Now, having said that, they kind of used the character for certain kinds of humor, 
and you don't expect to see growth and development and real emotional depth from a character like Yafeth. But by the time we get to season two, even this character and Jeff, who is a character that seemed to be put into the show simply for comic relief. He's the dude that just happens to be in the turbo lifts when they get, when they get on to go from place to place and who's always wanting to talk about things and was kind of a gag character. Even that character gets more depth and unexpectedly so. And that's kind of the miracle <laughs> when I talk about this series. So the uh, episode one, we have an episode called Jaloja, which is about the Mocklin. Mocklins apparently urinate only once a year, and this is called their Jaloja. And so they build an entire episode around having to go back to Mocklis so that their lead, you know, their security officer, Bordas, can relieve himself. And you expect all of these jokes. I mean, just telling you that setup for the show, a certain style of humor, especially if you know Seth MacFarlane, comes into mind and you start to th see what you think that that show is going to be and how it's going to work out and how it's going to play out. But then you get a show that is about community and friendship and relationships and how important it is to care and have people to share your life with. And they don't make the jokes that you're expecting and they don't make the visual sight gags that you're expecting. And yet this ultimately frivolous idea becomes a meaningful and heartwarming story about a Mocklin's time to pee. That, that, do you, if you have never seen the show, you, you probably think I've gone mad at this point. But trust me, just if you watch no other episode, maybe that one or one of the others I'm about to talk about. Because, oh my goodness, the show, it does things that you just don't expect. So, by the time you get to episode three in the second season, you have the episode Home, where in which one of our Salayan characters, Alara, she has contracted, well, not contracted, Salayans live on a high-gravity planet and thus are super strong, and this becomes a joke that you see coming a mile, a mile away, right? They have Alara, who's this tiny, petite little girl who is stronger than anybody else on the ship. Well... She ends up having her bones and musculature starting to, starting to weaken, which we discover sometimes happens to Salans who spend too long away from their homeworld. So they send her back to her homeworld so that she can be exposed to its high gravity and recuperate. Simple setup for a show. Yes, simple setup. Not much there. This turns into... A story about family, respect, relationships that culminates in a hostage situation that actually connects to how 
the characters relate and interact with each other. And it's a very serious and dark episode. Robert Picardo, who, if you are a space opera fan, you probably know him from every show ever. He was the doctor on Voyager. He was the annoying bean counter from um, Stargate Atlantis. He plays her father. And it just, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain this show without just constantly highlighting the duality that it has because the humor that this episode begins with, where you have Alara basically arm wrestling to show her strength and then getting injured and going into this other situation, the deftness, deftness, gotta be sure I enunciate that, that this show handles its subject matter with. It is almost mind-boggling. And the episode that follows this, Nothing Left on Earth Excepting Fishes, goes into the reality of war and cold wars and the violence that people perpetrate on each other because they are different and how we allow our differences to separate us when they don't have to. A Happy Refrain is an episode about life and relationships and how they can be hard and messy and strange and different and how being willing to adapt and support the person you're in a relationship matters and what a relationship actually is and what it's for and how how they work it's the relationship between claire isaac and isaac and claire's children in this episode is so powerfully stated and the concept of falling in love and falling in love with somebody who doesn't have the emotions and how that could or could not work and what the value of such a relationship would and could be it just it's hard to believe that that's a show that they did a couple of episodes later and this is where i really wanted to talk about and unfortunately i spent most of the episode building up to this, so I might end up doing another one on this in particular. The two-parter, Identity, where we finally learned why why Isaac was sent to the Union and what the Kalons are actually doing. And this episode, this two-parter, Oh my goodness. It hit every note you expect for a show like this. I mean, there were times where it felt like, you know, um, best of both worlds. Because what you find out is that the Kalons ended up killing their masters, the people that made them, because they wouldn't give them autonomy. And they sent Isaac to the Union to determine whether or not coexistence with biological life forms was possible. And they determine that it's not because we have a history of enslaving others. Whether we've done it recently or not doesn't matter. The possibility is there. And since it is a non-zero possibility, all life must be eradicated from the universe. 
these two episodes, for me at least, are the pivot point for the show. And I'm really curious to see where it goes from here. Just because up to this point, as I've said, they've talked about some serious issues. They've talked about some, they've had some serious episodes. They've had some funny episodes. This was a moment where the show really became its own thing. And I don't think it's healthy or helpful anymore to talk about it in comparison to other shows because yet prior to this you know we could have talks about how this episode was like star trek or this episode was like babylon 5 or this episode was like one of the stargates or a battlestar galactica or what have you i mean you could see a lot of those parallels and some of those existed in here like i said this really had the feel of best of both worlds from the star trek the next generation when the borg are on their rampage to destroy earth but the solutions and the methodology for getting there were indigenous to the orville and that for me is a huge pivot point for the series that yes had a lot of elements of pastiche to it this is that moment when the crew of um in galaxy quest realize oh no we're gonna have to step up and be our characters or everybody's gonna die this was that episode this two-parter and for me it moved the orville so far into its own category that i don't really want to be thinking about it in relationship to other shows anymore and I find it funny that after this episode, we have that being brought up over and over and over again, because it has really become its own thing. The Union is not the Federation, though it may share some similarities to it. It's not Star Trek. This is not the Enterprise. This is not the crew you're looking for. These are not the characters that you started the series with and i don't mean that in like oh they rebooted it it's they have been allowing these characters to grow and mature over time and to take on more and more of their own characterization and become more and more themselves when you go back to those early episodes okay isaac is your analog for either spock or data and you can make arguments about that the doctor is yeah you know somewhere between crusher and bones yeah i can see that and we can go through one by one for how we can relate them to characters from other media and other shows particularly star trek but over the course of the season of the first season up until this point in this season it in season two it's almost impossible to make those analogs anymore because the characters have become themselves. The Orville has cemented for itself its own identity as a series and as a concept for space opera. 
And you have to respect them for that. It would have been so easy to stay a pastiche show. It would have been much easier to just do send-ups of various other series over and over and over and over again. But to allow the characters to develop and grow and have them take on so much uniqueness and diverge so much from your expectations for a show that at least initially seemed to be nothing more than that simple pastiche, then, yeah, we're, we're beyond... We've gone beyond the wall of parody into a show being itself and being its own thing. Now, I'm not going to say that they're never going to go back and do any parody episodes or pastiche. I don't think that that's, you know... In the, I, I, they, if they feel that it would be funny and enjoyable in the series, they're going to do it. But it, it deserves respect now. And I, I sounds like I'm saying it didn't last season. It did last season too. But by this point, this obnoxious, you know, comparing and contrasting between it and other series really doesn't have to happen anymore. It, it has so much become its own thing that the comparisons that we used to be able to make between characters and their original unparodied form, if you will, they, they don't work anymore. Clyden is his own character now. Borden is his own character now. Allura has unfortunately left the show for reasons that we don't understand. You know, Claire is her own character. Isaac is very much his own character now in a way that really distinguishes him from any of the analogs that came before him. And this is something that will be, that for me is so exciting to see how they pursue this going forward. This is finally a show that to me, what identity did is it showed the courage of the writers in producers of the show to let the show be itself and not rely on other things. And I'm hoping that that continues because the more the show individuates itself, the more I enjoy it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did in the episode and the podcast app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the podcast, please do so. That helps me out a lot. That tells the algorithm to share me with more people. And that's always a good thing. If, um, you have a buck or two you can pass my way. In the show notes, you'll see a link that says support on Anchor or Anchor Community Support. If you click that, you can join the project at the $1, $5, or $10 levels. That money helps me out a lot. It helps me to do everything that I do. If you want to follow me online, easiest place is Twitter. I'm CE Dorset on Twitter. You can find links to all my social media and everything that I'm doing over at projectshadow.com. I want to talk about this show a lot more, and we probably will in the future. If you have an episode or a topic you would like to like me to discuss, please go to anchor.fm or to your app store of choice and download the Anchor app. Once there, follow Project Shadow, and you'll see a button that says voice message. If you click that, you can leave me a one-minute message and be a question, a comment, or a topic you'd like me to discuss on the show. Keep it clean and... I would love to get more of those. So until next time, thank you for listening and don't forget, have the fun.